door. We have a great treat today. We have a guest speaker, Pastor Joe Rhodes. Um, Joe pastored a church, planted a church with his wife, Trish, in Penasquitos, New Hope Church, pastored there for more than 30 years. He's, he's really not that old, but he's pastored more than 30 years young. He's like 35. And um, I had the opportunity to, to get to know Joe about 18 years ago. I served, I ministered in India with a, a team from his church. He mobilized this wild man named John Ator to be a part of that team. And uh, I was so blessed. I got rocked by the Lord and learned so much from both John and Joe. John, when he talks about you, describes you or just shares that you're one of his dearest friends. <laughs> so, um, Joe, it's an honor to have you here today. Thank you so much and look forward to hearing from you. I am that old. I turned 70 last month. 70, 70, you know, 50 was no big deal, 60, no big deal. 70 sounds old. So I apologize to any other. It's okay, thank you, thank you. My, my pastor uh, is now with the Lord. He, uh, he said once that, uh, you know, 50 is the new 40, 60 is the new 50, 70 is the new 60. He said, 80, it's still 80. So, well, um, I, I just kind of got to get acclimated here. There's a, a pastor who I love who said that every sermon needs to have a, a porch. You know how, in, how there's porches out in front of homes? We don't have them here, but in the south, yeah, porches. And when people come to visit you, you visit out on the porch for a little while, kind of get acclimated, and then you invite the person to the house, and then you have the dinner and really get down to it. So I need to have a little porch time this morning. And just to kind of look around and uh, get acclimated and look at faces, I like to I like to look at faces closely and when I'm when I'm preaching and uh, it's really, uh, gosh, I, I'm really quite emotional to be here today. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Um, some of you I know, see uh, Lance and Carol, who I've known back in the New Hope days, and others who I've had a chance to visit with over the years and been here a couple times. Been a while though. But some of you maybe uh, first time for us to meet each other. But your church, I've I've followed closely, probably more than other than any churches I pastor, probably more than any other. So the gathering place is very much a part in my heart. And John Ator is is one of my closest friends. I don't know if he'd claim that, but I certainly would. He, uh, he I think, has been over twenty five years that we've walked together and shared together and prayed together and led different things around the city and the community together. And of course, I know Hope well and have close, stayed close to that journey that they're on. Pray for them regularly. Oftentimes, I'll wake up in the night and uh, the words longevity, those words that God gave, just come to mind. I just pray longevity. Although I adjusted it, I adjusted it to healthy longevity. Not just... Not so I, I, I added my own little piece there. I'm sure I'm sure Hope doesn't mind that, but I, I pray that over her regularly and have, and journey with uh, John and I still talk ongoing basis and get together and and uh, so your church really is very much in my heart. I almost feel like I'm preaching to my own people to some extent. I and I don't often say that. I don't actually preach that much. My wife and I were at New Hope for 38 years actually, and we're planning to stay. That was the intent as we turned it over to a young couple. But God, out of the blue, uh, led us to resign and, 
and start going to a church down called All People's Church down near San Diego State that has hundreds of college students and just felt led to pour ourselves into the next generation. So down we went, and make a long story short, we're now on staff with them and overseas from training and, and a privilege to do that. Um, but I don't actually preach that much. I, frankly, I don't miss preaching. I'm one of the pastors. I talk to pastors who aren't pastoring, and that's what they miss. Frankly, I don't miss preaching at all. I'm happy to do it from time to time. But I'm, I'm really thankful to be here and share this with you. And, and so I'm, I'm glad to be here because your church means a lot to me, but also because of the message that God is allowing me to preach today. And I say allowing because I don't, again, I don't preach much anymore. And when I do, I don't often get to pick what I'm going to preach on. It's some theme that, that I'm asked to, to share on. And even when I have the option to pick what I want, I'll say, Lord, can I do this? And I don't usually get a yes, but I got a, <laughs> but I got a yes today. And um, it really is, it's, it's um, I don't even know how to put it in words, but it is, it's the heartbeat of my walk with Jesus. It's what means more to me than anything else. I've, I've said if I ever wrote a book, which I won't, I'm not a writer, my wife has all the writing skills in, the, in a home, but it would, it would be on this topic here, and I read on it as often as I can, and, and so just to be able to share, in many ways, uh, this is kind of a self-indulging message, this is, if nobody else gets anything out of this, I will, I already have, <laughs> because I, I it, just to be, even though it's so important to me to, to, to bury my mind and heart in it for the past couple of weeks, has just Re, resurgence, the word, there was a word resurgence came, I'm already resurged before I came, one of the sisters prayed that for me, and maybe this will be that for you. The other reason I'm glad to be here is that John told me that guest speakers afterwards get to go and pick out a car <laughs> on the way. So Gary, I don't know if you make that happen. I, I, okay, Josh, okay. So, okay, oh, oh, is that all it was? Okay, all right. Okay, okay, well, forget that. I, maybe I don't get to do that. So, Well, the topic that I want to preach on and share with you, it's on what I call, the title is Seeing God. You guys may have heard me share on this way back in the day, although it's, it's been a long time. Been any, I don't even remember the last time I had a chance to preach on this. But I, the title that I would give is what I call Seeing God. And... Uh, uh, it, it to, and I'm going to, well, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna, you're going to, this is a different message in many res- respects because you're going to see a lot on the screens. It's, it's, a, it's a sermon that is filled with quotes, so it's w- different than any of that I ever give. I'm going to be giving you a lot of quotes from people who are dead, people who are believers from many centuries ago because I, it's just the nature of this as I've poured into this. Uh, I've gone back and looked at some of the old saints to see what they had to say about it. Truth is, you've got to go back to the old saints, by and large, to even hear about this. There is a great book called, called uh, um, something, a contemplative something that a couple of people wrote recently. I can't remember the title that spoke to this, but we don't often hear about it these days. And so I'm going to be giving you lots of quotes, so you're going to need to work at being focused mentally. But really, the truth is, what, what happens when a pastor's preaching... It's different than anything else than when, when there's a speaker because what happens has as much or more to do with rather than what's coming from my lips, but it's what's taking place in your hearts and the openness that you have. And so really there's a responsibility that I have to be true to, to being humble and being submissive to the Lord and prepared, but for you the responsibility 
is to have your hearts open. So to that end, let's, let's, let's pray, okay? Father, I just uh, am so humbled and, and come to this with a measure of, of fear and trembling because we, are, we are, really are, as far as topics go, treading on really holy ground today. We always are, but somehow this one more so, I think. So, Father, we, we give this time to you. Lord, I don't presume that I can craft the words that would say what needs to be said. I'll do my best, but ultimately, Holy Spirit, we need your anointing, your presence, for you to take what I say and translate that into hearts to where it resonates and, and makes a difference and makes an impact. And so I'm totally dependent upon you today, Holy Spirit, to come and bring anointing. But I pray for that same anointing on the hearts of those who are here today and those who hear out from here in whatever context, God, that you would open hearts, give hearts that are receptive. We pray against every distraction, every way the enemy would come to distract or distort or confuse. We, In the name of Jesus, we pray for a covering over us, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would move and you would be our teacher, our preacher today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, the title is Seeing God, and, and I'll start with Ephesians 1. I think that whole topic starts here. You will be familiar with this. And by the way, I know as I'm looking out here, uh, I'm not presuming at all that I'm sharing something you haven't heard or don't know. I'm sure many of you have. Many of you could, this is your heartbeat as well. So I'm not bringing anything brand new to probably any of you. It's just my take on something that is very dear to me. But the passage that I would start with, we're going to see it up on the screen, is Ephesians 1.15, where Paul says, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And so here he's about to share what he's praying for them. And he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, just stop there for a moment. What, what strikes me is, so he, they've already heard about Jesus. They've heard the stories about Jesus. They've been taught much about Jesus. They, they know much. So on a cognitive, intellectual level, they know a lot about Jesus. But Paul's bringing home the point, that's not enough. There has to be revelation. We sometimes use the word illumination. It's that moving from what's in the head down into the heart. And that's what this is all about. And, so, and then he goes on in verse 18. I think he expounds on how that takes place. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. We are born with eyes in our heart. Not physical eyes on that beating organ, but in a, that inner part of that inner person, the deepest part of who we are, it's what we call the heart. We have eyes there, but before we come to Christ, they are blind. We can't see. And so Paul puts it, says this about that in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And so non-believers are what they are, unbelievers, because they're blinded. They can't see it. So how does a person get saved and what happens, how they can get converted? Verse 5 tells us, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. 
For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so, yes, a person comes to Christ because there's witnessing, there's sharing the gospel, there's prayer, but it only happens at that point when God opens their heart. He says, let light shine into their heart. And when that light shines in, in that instant, they are saved. Now, that's how every single one of you got saved, whether you knew it or not. You got saved not mainly because you thought heaven was a good idea and hell's a bad idea, not just because you heard the gospel and it made sense to you intellectually. All that may have played a role, but you became a Christian because at some point, the Holy Spirit shone the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ in your heart. And at that moment, you got saved. That's how every person gets saved. I love this story. I'm not going to tell many stories today, but I will tell this one because I love it. James Stewart, uh, a early 19th century pastor. Some of you may have heard. Most people I, I read the most are, like I say, are, they're dead. They're gone. And he's, he's an amazing pastor, Scottish pastor. But before he got saved, he was a teenager, and his mom was a very committed, faithful mother who prayed for him day after day, week after week. And he'd always, she'd always share the gospel, and he would say he, he played soccer. He played, they called it football in Scotland. He said, he said Mom, I'm not going to be a Christian. I'm going to go to hell and play football. And, uh, and, and he, but she would still share all the time, and she'd say, he'd say, no, that's not for me. Well, one day, God spoke to her and said, in two weeks, James is going to get saved. Now, sometimes God works that way. And so she went to James and said, James, praise God, you're saved. And he said, Mom, I'm not saved. I'm going to go to hell and play football. Two weeks later, he was out on the soccer field. All of a sudden, God spoke light into his heart. He fell on his knees, came to Christ. He runs home and says, Mom, I'm saved. Mom, I'm saved. And she said, that's what I've been telling you for the last two weeks. You're saved. Now, whether, whether, again, whether you, that's how all of us got saved. Different, maybe it's not as extreme as that or quite that way, but that's how we all got saved. And any person who's saved, that's their story, is you were blind, but God shone the light in your heart. And then here's what I would say then, is that while the Christian life begins that way, it begins that way, it starts that way, and then the journey in the Christian life then is the ever-increasing brightness of the light of the glory of God shining more brightly in your heart. It's this, it's this increasing lightning and enlightenment and brightness on more and more and more. Amen. amen is right. No, you say amen all day long. Amen. You know, amen is to a preacher like Sikkim is to a dog. So you just you feel free to do those amens. Don't... don't don't hold. In fact, you guys are a Pentecostal church, right? Okay, I expect some noise out of you. <laughs> My church was Baptist, and they, you know, they did the quiet amen. So they learned later on, but we, we, became, we became Baptocostal through the help of John. So, yeah, that's a whole other story. That's a whole other story. So here's how I define seeing God. I'm going to give you, this is my definition. I'm sure it isn't the best. It's not a consensus. It's my best take on seeing God. You probably have a better one put up on the screen. Seeing God is when God enables us by his spirit to apprehend with the eyes of our heart, his character, his ways, and his presence as revealed in his word. That's just my best shot. And this concept, by the way, what time do I need to be done? Well, okay. 
Okay, 25. Okay, I'll try to go to 25. This concept, this idea is alluded to, if not explicitly mentioned, in various places in Scripture. So, for example, Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And then he says this, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. And I, so we ask ourselves, what is, what's he beholding? Is it, you know, is it smoke like we read about? Or, you know, like in Isaiah chapter 6 where smoke filled the temple and his terrain filled the temple. Or was, I, I'm inclined to say he's not talking about physical sight. He's talking about a spiritual sight. Psalm 63, 1 and 2. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you. I've seen, again, seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Matthew 5, 8. Familiar verse, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. John 17, one of my favorite verses. If, if, if you're able to have a favorite verse, this might be mine, because they're all good. Father, I desire, Jesus, this is the high priestly prayer, and Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory. You know, we read these verses, but we don't stop. Well, what's he talking about? I believe this is mainly what he's talking about. That they may see my glory, which you've given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So that's what I want to lean into today. Okay, I want to lean into that because I've given you a definition, given some verses, but let's, I want to try and flesh that out a little bit for you as I understand it. Okay, so I'll start by saying that there are various ways... I had some water somewhere. There we go. That there, that there are various ways that God, thank you, that God has revealed to us in Scripture, right? Not just in Scripture, but there's various ways God has revealed to us. Let me give you a few. One would be, it would actually is in creation, right? Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. They, 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 they tell us about the glory. They inform us of the glory of God. So in a sense... On one level, we see God, we look out. We go, man, God, don't you do that. You, get, you see amazing sunset. Wow. And, and as believers, we don't just say it's a beautiful sunset. We say, man, God is amazing, right? Yeah. So the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Psalm uh, Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. So, I mean, so in nature, we, we get an idea. We get some concept understanding, at least on one level, of God and who He is and what He's like. So that's one way. Second way is we, God's revealed to us as we look at the works of God throughout history. I could give many examples for that, but I'll just point to uh, Israel, you know, just their whole history and, you know, their, you know, the plagues, the opening of the Red Sea, the opening of the Jordan and fire by night, fire by day, going into battle, sending the choir out before the army and defeating their enemies. I mean, all the, the, the miraculous things we see that God gave in the history of Israel, in the Old, the Old Testament. Then you go all throughout history, and many times you can see God doing amazing things, and we say, that's God. We get an idea of what God is like as we look at what He's done throughout history. Another way would be, certainly would be, in the life and work of Jesus, John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh, and dwelt, dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Remember, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so we certainly, in terms of a 
physical demonstration, expression of who God is and what he's like, the, the premier way would be in the person of Jesus and his work that he did. We see Jesus, Bible indicates that we, we see what God's like in the life of believers. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father. So they look at believers and they see the way God is working through us, his character demonstrated through us. And we say, that's what we say. We say, that person looks like God. That person's so Christ-like. And then, of course, in the Word itself, we see what God is like. He, he's revealed to us in the Word. The written Word is the unveiling of God. It's, it's the primary, objective, written document that tells us that's the main place we go. In fact, every other expression, every other concept we have of God is to be measured by the Scriptures. But here's what I want. So those are five ways. Okay? Creation, worship God in history, the life and work of Jesus, believers, and the Word, the Scriptures. But here's what I want you to see. And again, you, this is, I'm just going to put language on stuff that probably most of you already know. These are all what I would call objective expressions. These are objectively discerned. These are discerned cognitively in an objective way. Even a non-believer can gain some understanding if they're open to the concept of a God, what God is like in these ways, Correct? Many people don't know Christ who have some belief in God would look and say, they, they look and they believe in some idea of God as they see these, what I would call, objective revelations. But what I'm talking about here is something different. What we're talking about here is a subjective, I don't know if I put this up for you guys or not, so I'll just read it. A subjective, oh, I did. Great. I like to put it so you can see it in here. What I'm talking about here is not merely an objective understanding and grasping of God, but rather a subjective personal experience whereby God removes the veil enabling us to peer into spiritual realms and see God. And so, for example, as I was preaching on this, back in the day we had this season where I call it when the glory of God came to New Hope, which is an overstatement because the glory was there before, but in a, in a meaningful way. And I begin to preach on this stuff quite a bit, actually. And I had one of my men of God, wonderful guy, said, Joe, I know exactly what you're talking about. When I get up in the morning and I see a sunset, there's God. And I said, I didn't say anything about it. Well, I wanted to say, that's not really what I'm talking about. That gives us an idea, an understanding of God on one level. But you're simply seeing the effects of God, what God can do. That's not God. It, show, it tells us what God is like, but that's not God. We see God with the eyes of our heart. And so that's what we're talking about here. It is seeing God on a whole different level. And I believe that leaning into this is absolutely critical for every believer. And my own, my own personal opinion is that by and large, at least to some extent, it's overlooked in our day. You read the old writers, they talk about this a lot more. And I therefore I'd say in large part, this is the reason, this is the root of maybe the lack of depth and passion in the body of Christ, because this is what breeds pa passion. And I'll speak to that in a moment. Now, here's what I want. now I'm going to give you some examples from history. Okay, now I get into the quotes I, I promised you. Because what I like to do when I'm looking at something, and, I'm not, and if I'm not hearing a lot of preachers talk about it, I, I don't really trust myself, so I go, well, is anybody else talking this way? Anybody else write this about this stuff? 
So I'm going to give you a few other writers who are brilliant men of God, powerful men of God and women of God, and hear what they say. So Jonathan Edwards, many consider the greatest theologian ever and was the, the leading figure in the great, great Awakening in the, first, in the 18th century. And here's what he says. He calls this truly apprehending or having a sense of it. That's what he calls this, seeing God. And here's what he writes. He that is spiritually enlightened truly apprehends and sees it. And you've got you to underline words. He truly apprehends and sees it or has a sense of it. He does not merely rationally believe that God is glorious, but he has a sense of the gloriousness of God in his heart. Can you see it there? Are you following with me up there? there is a, and here's what he says. There's a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and the beauty of the holiness and grace. And I, I just want to, I just want, I just would love to have Jonathan Edward here and say, tell me more about that because it's like he's grasping for words, a sense of it. What does that even mean, a sense of it? A truly apprehending, but that's, language doesn't, is, is, isn't sufficient here. He calls this the spiritual light this spiritual light is the dawning of the light of the glory in the heart. And so what, I, what, what, I, what I'm concerned about, what I wonder is that more than we realize, even as believers, that we can have opinions about God and rational conclusions about God, but without really seeing Him. So we see Him on one level, but not on this level. Let me give you another one. A.W. Tozer, A.W. Tozer, 20th century, one of my favorite writers of the 20th century. He calls this apprehending the truth in its spiritual essence. So you can people, they just like to try and find words to describe what he used to, he calls this the gaze of, A.W. Tozer calls this the gaze of the soul. He would go into his office and lay down on his face for hours and just lay there and look. Well, he did. He was seeing with the eyes of his heart. But he says it's apprehending the truth in its spiritual essence. He says, it is possible to go on to become expert in Bible doctrine and not have spiritual illumination. With the result that a veil remains over the mind, preventing it from apprehending the truth in its spiritual essence. I'm give you, I said I'm going to give you some, so you've got to keep, your, keep, your, keep focus mentally. R.C. Sproul, he is alive, actually. This is one living one. There's a couple living ones. R.C. Sproul, he calls this soul-piercing understanding. Soul-piercing understanding. We can have, he says, we can understand a doctrine with our mind. We may even have perfectly orthodox understanding of the truth without the truth ever piercing our soul. It is the soul-piercing understanding that we are after, the understanding wrought within us by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So my question to you is, are you after that? Do you think about it? Do you lean into it? Do you pray for it? Is this, what's, is this, is this what is foremost on your mind? God, is I got to see you. Is it this, Lord, I just got to see you. It's what I would pray for my people. I just said, Lord, they gotta see, if they see you, they'll be transformed. Another one, Andrew Murray. How many more do I have? I got a couple more. Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray, a, um, eight, uh, early 19th century uh, uh, 
revivalist out of um, South Africa. He says this. He calls it the actual experience of it. In one sense, Christ revealed the Father, but that, listen to this, this is so interesting. He says, in one sense, in one sense, Christ revealed the Father. What do you mean in one sense? He, no, he, why do you have to qualify? Jesus revealed the Father, but he, he's, he's, he wants to get to how we really see him. He says, in one sense, Christ revealed the Father, but that revelation was only an objective one. Back to what I was saying, it's an objective one. Thoughts and reasonings only give knowledge in the mind about a thing. They do not give the heart the actual experience and blessedness of what they represent. All right, one more. John Piper, uh, huge impact in my life. I I will say sometimes I've been piperized, Uh, still living. He calls this a true apprehension. He says, without God's supernatural work in the eyes of the heart... We will not see the wonder of God in the Word. We will not see the wonder of God in the Word, but only raw facts that will not give us a true apprehension of God. A right and true knowledge of spiritual things is not merely a product of human observation, but also, and I would say mainly, of divine illumination. So talking illumination, that word we are used to, that's really all I'm talking about is what we refer to as illumination. Just putting a little more words on it. So there it is. That's, this is what I, this is, this is my, this is my life. This is, this is what is foremost for me. And back when, as I, that season when the glory, of, when I say the glory of God came to New Hope, we'd been at Pat Church for, we'd been around for, I don't know, 20 years, and God, through a series of circumstances, began to move us and me into some things regarding His glory, very unbaptist, actually, uh, but God began to lead us there, and I just began to see things that I'd only seen maybe maybe in black and white, but now in color. And I just have never been the same. Now, this produces two things. So what, what's the effect of this? Now that you got it, and again, this isn't new. It's, maybe I'm just, just kind of helping you, you to lean more this morning. So what's the effect of this? Two things. Number one is true satisfaction and true delight. We settle, we settle for so many lesser delights, not only out in the world, but even as believers, I think. Important and good things of God, but maybe some of the lesser things, if that's possible. True satisfaction, true delight, because it is when, when we see Christ at this level, at the heart level, that's when springs of delight that can't even be described rise up in your soul. There's no words for it. One time I, when I was, and I went through a whole season where I was kind of in this, you know that whole season where you, you, you're so heavenly focused, you're no earthly good. I was verging on that, frankly. But I just didn't know what to do because God, I was in this unique kind of vortex as I call it. And one morning, as I'd go and spend my time with God in the morning and His light was shining so brightly and, and I just said, God, what, what, what is it about this that is so beautiful, so amazing? Why do I love this? Why, this is bring me, why does it bring me so much delight? And, and I felt what He was saying is you're, I'm, I'm giving you a glimpse into what is on full display in heaven. But I couldn't, you know, we can't take it now. If he, if he opened his, if he was on full display now, we would just disintegrate. 
So he just, it's, I call these beams, of, these beams rays of light from heaven into our soul. Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. And that's what Jesus is to be to us. And what I'm saying to you is when you see him there, that's when this verse really lands in your, in your life. Uh, the, the old saints call this the beatific vision. That's the word they used for it, the beatific vision. And the word beatific comes from the Latin word beatus, I think that's how you say it, which means happy. And so it's the vision that brings happiness. It's, it's, that's why it's the be, be, beatific, be, beatific vision. So let me give a few more, you ready for a few more quotes from some old saints? I got a few. Jonathan Edwards once again. Just so amazing. He says, Yea, these are just some examples of quotes from him. Yea, the least glimpse of the glory of God in the face of Christ doth more, he talked his way back then, doth more exalt and ennoble the soul than all the knowledge of those that have the greatest speculative understanding in divinity without grace. This knowledge is that which is above all others sweet and joyful. Uh, Teresa of Avila, some of you may have heard of Teresa of Avila, 17th, uh, 16th century saint. Here's what she writes. For here, our Lord appears in the center of the soul, not by images, but in the conviction of faith. What God communicates to the soul in an instant is so intimate a secret and so sublime a grace that the soul feels excessive joy that is incomparable to anything that I know of. I mean, this is almost, for us humans who are so used to getting joy out of things we can, you know, we go to Disneyland, we go, oh, this is more on a ride, and we just get so filled with joy. You know, we're so used to experiencing joy in things that we can see and experience and touch and feel. All we're talking about here is seeing something with the eyes of the heart. That's it. Let me finish what she wrote. What God communicates here is to the soul is an intimate, so intimate, a secret, and so sublime grace that the soul feels excessive joy that is incomparable to anything that I know of. All I can say is that our Lord is pleased at that moment to reveal to the soul the glory which is in heaven. You see, we, we, were, we were made to respond with joy just by seeing something, right? I mean, we drive... We drive three days to go and look at things, right? To go, you know, go to the Grand Canyon. We'll go to Zion, to Zion National Park. And we, don't we? We just, we go and watch a game. We are made to experience joy out of seeing things. And all we do is, uh, I was talking to my, my, some years ago, one of my neighbors, they went to the Grand Canyon and his eight-year-old boy, I said, well, how was? He said, okay. I said, I said, so well, what did you do? And he said, we looked. And I go, well, yeah, it's kind of what you do when you go to the Grand I mean, you can hike. I get some of you hike, not me, but some of you hike. But that's what you do because we were made to rest, for seeing things to bring us joy. And that sight in, in our hearts of the glory of God is, brings an excessive joy beyond what anything we could see really with these eyes. I'll give you one more. John Bunyan. I, li- I love this one because of the context. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. 
and he was in prison because he was preaching, and he wasn't, back then, you couldn't preach if you weren't a part of the church, but he preached anyway, so he was thrown in prison. He had five children, and for 12 years, he was in prison. For 12 years, he was in prison. And he wrote, even in prison, he wrote, the parting with my head, one of his daughters was blind, by the way, just broke his heart, tore him up. He said, the parting with my wife and poor children hath often been to me in this pace, in this place, as the pulling of the flesh from my bone. That's how much pain he was in, being away from his family. But listen to what he writes from prison. And remember, the prisons in those days, I mean, they're no good these days, but then they were dark, dungeon-type places, smelly and, and, you know, like a hole-in-the-ground-type places. But listen to what he writes while in prison, in that place. All he can see is grimy walls, and it's dark. And he says, but listen to what he writes. I have never, I have never had in all my life so great an inlet into the Word of God as now. Those scriptures that I saw nothing in before were made in this place a state to shine upon me. Jesus Christ also is never more real and apparent than now. Here I have seen him and felt him indeed. I have had sweet sights, sights of the forgiveness of my sins in this place and of my being with Jesus in another world. I have seen that here that I am persuaded I shall never, while in this prison, be able to express. So there's one impact is real joy, true delight. The second thing is life transformation. This is what will transform a life. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So it's as we behold, as we behold Him here, our inner constitution, we are changed in, that's how you're changed into his image. And ultimately, ultimately, this I believe is, ultimate, is the ultimate wellspring and power for our, the sanctification process, more than anything else. It's, it's, it's the fuel for everything else. That's the, this is the fuel. That's why we have to lean into it. Okay, one more round of quotes, okay? Here we go, R.C. Sproul. This is the secret of the Christian life. When the Word of God gets beyond the mind and into the heart, then, then and only then do our lives really change. We pass from a consciousness of the Word of God to a conviction of it, and then to a conscience that delights in it. And it's as, that's what brings about the transformation. John Owen, most of you may not have ever heard of John Owen, a 17th century reformer, incredible theologian, writes about this. He says this, Some men speak much of imitating Christ by following his example and that would work well if we could see more of it of it really in effect but we will never become like Christ by bare imitation of his actions without the view or sense of his glory which alone is accompanied with a transforming power to change us into the same image in fact this is the root from which all Christian duties spring and, and uh, which they grow So as, you see, as long as the Word of God remains mainly in our mind, we will debate it, we may question it, might even be bored by it. But when it finds a place in our heart, we see it at that level, it's like there's an inner compulsion to respond. You can't help 
but respond. And I know, and I've learned much from gathering place from, from John, that I know you guys are a church that believes in the miraculous. And you've seen many miracles. I know that. And you're going to see more. But I'm sure you could point to people who've seen God do miraculous things in their life and they're momentarily changed and they go back to where they were before. It's sad. I have a friend who God worked in miraculous ways in their church and God one day gave them a word that a man who was in the deep stages of ALS, of uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, you know, basically you become imprisoned in your own body and he was in deep stages. I mean... I mean, he, all he could do is sit and kind of blink. And God told the elders, I'm going to heal him. And so they prayed for him. Two weeks later, on a Friday night, he wakes up completely healed, walks into church. Imagine that. Guess what? Weeks later, he left the church. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he went on a walk with the Lord somewhere. I don't know what was going on. But you think, man, that guy's embedded to the Lord in that church forever. Maybe he did stay with the Lord. But the point is, you can see the miraculous. But we've all seen people who still walked away. But what I would suggest to you is that when you see him on this level, when the glory of God shines in your heart, you don't move away from that very easily. It's like you can't even imagine going back. You may struggle. I mean, you, we can all slip into sin. I know that. We're never, we're never away from, you know, we're all vulnerable to some extent. But man, when you see him at that level, man, you, for the most part, you're there for good through thick and thin. Okay, finally, how, how do you lean into this? Okay, I said we got to lean into it. I got five minutes. Number one, number one is to make sure you are walking in the Spirit. Make sure you are leaning into living in and by the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been baptized in the Spirit. You're leaning into it. I can tell you this. Well, let me just... I got more quotes, but, I, but I'll, you, you've had plenty. No, I'm going to read this one. R.C. Sproul. To delight in the loveliness of the Word of God requires assistance from above. It demands the transcendent and supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, not only upon us, but within us. And so you just got to make sure every day. I, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 19. So I said I'm 70. How many? It's a long time ago. 60, 70, 51 years. What is it? 51 years? I preached numerous sermons on walking in the Spirit. We, we had a whole discipleship material we wrote, my wife and I wrote, and we led people in. But I can tell you this. To this day, I have to every day remind myself to rely upon and walk in the Holy Spirit. Because I can still lean away. Not, I don't know how far I'd go. But that conscious Holy Spirit, I, gotta, I need to be baptized again today. So number one, make sure you walk in the Spirit. Number two, be obedient to reveal truth. You got to you know, seek... Never, never, none of us are perfect, but be, walk in obedience. Walk in obedience. Jesus put it this way. He said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So he connects the manifestation of himself to walking in obedience. 
then you won't do it perfectly, but you're seeking to walk in obedience day in and day out. So if you're living, if you know you are, if you are right now living any conscious, deliberate sin, I mean, God can miraculously out of grace just, and he does it. He'll, he'll shine his light sometimes anyway. But most of the time, for most of us, if you're living in sin, you're, that you're, you're allowing the, a veil to remain. Number three is saturate your mind with the Word of God. Stay in the Word. Illumination doesn't mean the mind is bypassed necessarily. God has most clearly communicated Himself to us through the Word. In fact, you've got to stay in the Word so you don't go off on stuff. We're not talking about just going in a dark room and lighting a candle and saying, God, show yourself. No, it's, it's, it's on the Word. And so you set your heart and mind on something of the Word. You're just saying, God, take what I know about the Word and now move it from here down to here. Let me see it with the eyes of my heart. So any talk about seeing God that doesn't bring you to the Word is just that. It's, it's just mere talk. So number four, and I've already alluded to this, is, is then not only walk in the Spirit, but then consciously, deliberately seek the Holy Spirit's illumination. So as you go to the Word, say, okay, God, I, in essence, you're going to say, God, I've read it, now let me see it. It's fine, I understand it, I've done the study, I've done the research, I know what it says, maybe I looked at commentaries, that's fine, that's great, but God, I've got to see it here. Lean into that illumination, lean into it. Psalm 119.18, open the eyes of my heart that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Okay, two more quotes. The sum, Tozer, the sum of which I'm saying is that there is an illumination divinely bestowed without which theological truth is information and nothing more. While this illumination is never given apart from theology, it is entirely possible to have theology without illumination. The result is dead orthodoxy. John Piper, we will never see the beauty and value of God for what it really is without God's immediate self-revelation. And then finally, number five, and I could, this one almost deserves a whole message because everything else I've said, you guys already know and you do probably and you could have said it too. But this is one you may not have thought of because it's so seldom talked about in our day. Contemplation. Take time to contemplate. I'm not going to take time to do this, but it would have been fun for you to turn to your neighbor and each of you to share what you understand contemplation to be. And maybe you all get it, but my guess is some will go, well, I'm, I'm not sure. We don't, we don't talk about con, con, contemplation much. We don't give space in our day for contemplation. We, in fact, there are, there are, there are books, neurological books, talks about the neurology of the mind where we stay up here on the surface. We don't go deep because we go from one thing to another. There's what they call the dumbing down of the mind and the heart because we, everything's on the surface. We flit from one app to another, from one thing to another. We're looking at something, oh, some little shiny thing comes so we go over here and we don't stay and we don't go deep we don't get quiet and still we don't we don't contemplate i mean you think about david out in tending to the sheep that's all he had that's all he could do is contemplate right i mean is is all he could do and now we can never get to it because there's always something playing there's always something in front of us it's just amazing as wonderful as all the technology is, on the other hand, is creating a, a culture and a people, and even as believers, that keeps us from going deep. And this is going deeper, if you will. Um, 
contemplation, it, 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 it derives from a Latin word which means to look at and to observe or to gaze at attentively. Here's my little definition of contemplation. Once again, this is just my best take on it. I don't think I gave it to you, but maybe I did. Contemplation is getting quiet and still and lingering. No, I didn't give it to you. So getting quiet, I'm going to add a few things to it. Getting still and lingering so, so as to set your mind and heart on the person of God. So you set your mind on the things of God, maybe something that you've read or seen. Set your mind on the things of God, and you set your heart, in other words, your affection on God. So you get your mind focused, and then you set your affections, your heart on God. And, and that's, that's your role. And what that does, that gives space for God to then shine His light in your heart. And so you've got to give space for that. And contemplation, I believe, is the primary exercise that gives God space to shine His light into your heart. And that's why I've told my people for years that I say to you the most important thing, absolutely, the most important thing I do almost every day is I get alone with God. Call it quiet time, call it devotion, call it FaceTime. What's it we call our church? FaceTime. Call it whatever you want. Is getting alone with God virtually every day. You get quiet and you still you get still and you and you just you get you just get quiet and still. And you, it's not just reading. It's not just. I'm not even talking interceding. That's fine. You can intercede and pray for people. You can get it. You need to get into the scripture. But at some point, you get quiet and you get still. Maybe you close your eyes and you just wait. And you focus your mind on God and you focus your affections on God. And it gives him the space to reveal himself to you. Now, you have to train yourself to do this. If you don't do this, you've got to train to do it because you get there and it's like, I mean, the first time I ever had a FaceTime, I did everything I knew to do. I looked at my watch and seven minutes went up. <laughs> like, I, I, I was done. And so you have to train yourself because we don't know how to do this, especially in our day. We don't know how to do this. But I'm telling you, you've got to learn to do this. Go through what it takes to learn to get quiet and still. And I'm not talking now. You can do this while you're driving down the road. That's fine. In fact, what I find is as I do it in the morning, then I'm more inclined to be in that space. I carry that space with me. And so, yes, God can shine His light anywhere, anytime. But when I'm driving down the road, I'm looking at the road, hopefully. Although you've all done like I, you go through like five lights and four left turns, you have no recollection of any of them. I understand how that can happen. So I'm talking, you've got to have that space where there, is, and there aren't any distractions. And to me, this is the primary exercise that if you want to see God in ways beyond what you have, that's it right there. Not out of a spiritual duty, not because it makes you a good Christian, because you are hungry to see God. So let me close with two more quotes, and then I'm done. Madame Guion, probably never heard of her, but a uh, 17th century saint says this, You must become as a bee who penetrates into the depths of the flower. To receive any deep inward profit from the Scripture, you must plunge into the very depths of the words you read until revelation like a sweet aroma breaks out upon you. Now, let me just say this on that. It may not break out upon you. You can meditate and contemplate for, uh, really, two minutes can seem like forever, frankly, when you're not used to it. 
and nothing happens. So you don't always know, but you're giving God the space. And then he comes when you least expect it. And he comes in other times from that. One more, John Piper. Every morning we need to kneel before, kneel over our Bible and we need to seek him in his word. And I mean seek to see him. We need to learn to savor the beauty of Christ and the beauty of God. Take a phrase, a word from his word and roll it over and over in their mind and on the tongue of their soul until the sweetness of it penetrates down to whatever pain or fear is gripping them and releases them. Don't just run dutifully out into the day. Do what you have to do. Get with God until you see him. And so, you know, what I just would, would, would plead for you to do, lean into it all the time, everywhere, every, you know, wake up, I go to bed, this is what I think about. When I wake up, this is where my mind is. Wherever I'm at, it's just always kind of there. But that, that ongoing thing is nurtured in those times alone with God. That's, that's where that, I get the fuel for that. And I encourage you, in whatever way that works for you, seek to do it. It's more than worth it. To me, this is, this is the essence of the Christian life. This is the pinnacle. This is why God saved you. Do you know that? This is why God saved you. So you'd see Him. This is our purpose. This is the creme de la creme of the Christian life. So I'm going to close in prayer, and then Josh is going to come and lead us. And, and whatever else He calls you to get prayer for, and it's the prayer teams, and um, some of you may want to come and say, you know what, I want to I begin to lean into this. Just pray for me that I would begin to lean into this more so in the days to come. So let's pray. Father, we just... Um, Lord, we are... We are um, or words... There aren't words to say what, how thankful how amazing you are and how wonderful you are to bring us into what you live with and see in eternity in the Trinity. You guys have seen and enjoy forever and ever, and Lord, you created us now to live in that. Lord, we just thank you for it. So, Father, I pray that you would take whatever I've shared, and, and Lord, continue to stir it in my heart, but I pray to whatever extent it would be needful, you would take this and let it land in hearts, and they'd go from here and begin to, to lean into this and see the fruits you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Joe. Wow. Joe, would you mind coming up here for just a moment, mm -hmm. uh, if you would? Wow. I feel, I, my spirit feels so full right now. I, I just want to do a couple things here. Um, I would love to honor Joe. Um, let's all extend our hands to him and pray over him, a refreshing. Mm. Lord, I pray that as your shepherd today shared the word with your people, that as he poured out, that you would pour a double portion into him. Mm. Amen. That you would refresh his soul. That as he taught us and, and gave us ways to lean in and go after more, that you would begin to illuminate in his heart even mm -hmm. right Amen. now Amen. a revelation of who you are in greater measure. Mm. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Joe. Let's Amen. honor Joe Amen. again. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. <clears throat> so what I want to do now is who wants to go after more? 
right? Want to lean into this today with me? So I want to invite the prayer teams down, uh, if you would. And if you're really feeling the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart to lean into Him, you know, draw near to God, He will draw near to you. I believe that's what He wants to do today, and He's going to give you revelation. He's going to give you wisdom so that you can know Him better. As Joe was was teaching, uh, it reminded me of Moses. When he's like, Moses went to God, I just want to see you. Show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. He's like, you can't see my face. But what did he show him? His goodness. His goodness passed before him. And Moses was transformed to where he came down the mountain. People saw the effects of that relationship all over Moses. I believe God wants to do that with you today too. So let's stand to our feet. And uh, we're, uh, prayer teams, if you would come down. I want to sing uh, Holy Spirit uh, together. And if you want to join me in that, feel free to come down front too and worship with us. If you want to go after more, if you need prayer, we're, we're going to pray with you, go after it with you. Uh, and if not, thanks for joining us today. If this is your first time, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, worship pastor, youth pastor, all over the place pastor. <laughs> thanks for joining us online. And I'm just going to pray real quick and then we'll go after it. Okay, sounds good. Lord, we love you in this place. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come and have your way in your people today, Lord God. As we continue this service in worship and prayer, Lord, may you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you better. And everyone said, amen. together. There's nothing worth more. Let's sing it out. There's nothing worth more I could ever come close. Nothing can compare Thank you.
Shame 